0: Oh, so let's open up in prayer. Father, we just pray that you speak to our hearts and greatly encourage our hearts. May we be equipped with your word. Um, You speak to us all the time, and so, you know, we won't ask you to speak. We just know that you will. And Father, I I pray, Lord, that um, we would be listening, that it would be easy for us to connect with what you're saying with what you'd like us to understand. So we totally commit this time for you, to you, and we pray that you just uh, bless the kids next door, Lord, as they're learning and as those seeds are being planted, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you can do a lot with seeds, Lord. So we just pray for our young ones, for our little ones, um, those soon to be born, Father. We just lift them up to you, Lord. And so, um, God, we just thank you for our church family. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are, I honestly thought we'd go a little bit quicker through 1 uh, Corinthians here. But it does kind of a weird thing. What happens is, that, so Paul's writing this to this church in Corinth, and, and they're, just, they're just struggling. But the interesting thing is, is that they're, they're functioning in much of the, what we would say, uh, powerful gifts are. They function in a lot of it. So it's commonplace for them to experience um, tongues. It would be commonplace for them to experience people praying and something actually happening. Um, it would be familiar to them to understand, like, words of prophecy. Like, all these things are just happening through it, but as a church body, you know, they're just kind of bumbling and fumbling around and just struggling a lot. And that's why Paul's writing them a letter. He wrote them, actually, three letters. Uh, this is one of them. We have 2 Corinthians. The other one just got lost. Um, but, so he's writing to them, and what he does in, the, in, in this first book, in the first, like, really, I don't know, kind of four chapters, is he says, he warns them, and he's like, hey, um, what you guys are doing is not good. It's causing a lot of division. Like, you guys are divided on some stuff that like, you really shouldn't be. And then Paul, like, takes a turn, and he's like, don't forget the gospel, and Jesus Christ, and Christ crucified. Don't ever lose sight of that. That's the power of the message. It doesn't lie in the person. That's why it's so great what Eric was saying. He's like, man, it's just God doing this. Like, you know, we just showed up, made ourselves available. Um, and then Paul then, like, goes back to what he was saying before. And don't be divided. That's a bad thing. You know, make sure you're on the same page, on the same team, saying the same thing. Make sure you do that. And then Paul jumps back. And he's like, don't forget about the gospel and Jesus Christ. And so he kind of, like, layers and jump, jumps back and forth. Um, so it's not necessarily kind of, like, one linear thought. He kind of jumps all over the place which probably a lot of us can relate to. Um, but sometimes when you talk about it on Sunday morning, it's like kind of harder to grasp. So, um, in your bulletin there, we'll pick up with this first thought. And I think there's tons of value in going over this because we live in a day and age where um, entertainment really rules the day in the West. You have your shows that you like, or maybe you don't have your shows that you like, your movies that you like, most people have their shows, their movies, their music, that we really like to be entertained. And we are provided with a lot of outlets and avenues to be entertained for sure. I mean, it, can just, it could easily just take over a day. You could just sit home and just be entertained all day long. And some people really like that. It's almost kind of like a drug in a way. It just kind of numbs everything out. You can kind of zone out for a little bit and just it can just happen. Um, and and I don't think that Paul's writing just to say, "Hey, entertainment is bad. Stay away from all of it." But I think what he is doing is writing this church. He's saying, "Hey, that entertainment thing, that like platform situation of really important people, really significant people, high money people, high powered people." That can creep into the church as well. So you guys should really be on the lookout for that. And you could even have the best intentions and even have some awareness about things, But stuff can still find its way in there, even if we're really aware of a problem and really intentional about it. I remember like sharing you know to a friend that I don't even remember what we were talking about. But I remember what he responded back. I was sharing with him. I was like, "Yeah, but I got to be careful." To and I don't even remember what it was. I don't think it was a Christian. I was just talking about something. And they're like, "Well, hey, at least you're aware of it. That's really good." And I'm like, "Ah, eh, that's like a starting point. I could still be aware of stuff. I really have good intentions, but but like still fumble it around and still miss out." Um, and so that's what Paul's like warning them of. Hey, be careful of this stuff because it once it gets in there, and if it like burrows in a little bit, it's kind of like yeast that works its through. All you need is a little bit and it can make stuff really funky. So don't become super legalistic and crazy, but like, pay attention, have an eye and ear of what's going on. So I wanted to uh, give you this first fill in the blank here. Um, because division is really their first issue with, so, with what we've read so far. So they were divided because of their dispute Distorted appreciation of the people God uses. They were distorted. No, that wasn't it, guys. Should be thinking, that's not what he said. They were divided. There we go. We're on it. They were divided, right? Because of their distorted appreciation of the people God uses. So you got a D and a D. So they were divided, right? Because of their Right. So within that statement implicitly means that there should be some appreciation of the people God uses, has influence, and in things that happen. But for them, they got like uh, divided on it, and it was placed in an unhealthy place. It wasn't good. So they're like, you know, so-and-so, I really like that guy. And so-and-so over here, well, he baptized me. And so-and-so over here, I really like how he does a message over here. And so-and-so over there, he's like from my hometown, and he, I like him. And so they were like distorted on it, and it was really an unhealthy situation. And I found myself doing this a whole bunch through my Christian life, especially growing up, and especially when I decided like to, to, to not play around and say, you know what, Lord, you have it all now. I'm tired of like playing around. I always knew it was right, I just fought against you, so now I'm going after it. And then I remember during that next season of really plugging into the the church that I grew up in, and I don't know how it weaseled its way in there, but I got this idea and this mindset that real deal, God-approved Christianity looks like how my church does it it weaseled its way in there. And so, I, I'm not quite sure how that happened. So I'm listening even to other pastors or other things and be like, hmm, you know, I don't, I don't know about that. You know, it's like, it's very cynical and skeptical. When maybe there probably should have been a lot more embracing. Um, even like worship songs and styles. It was like, I even noticed with my own church, like there was a particular worship group, you know, that I was like, going to be a good Sunday. And then, and and they would, like, you could kind of know the rotation ahead of time of who was coming up to do what, which that has its pros and cons. Obviously, one of the cons is, if you're one of those people that look ahead, and you're immature in the faith, you're like, maybe I'm busy that Sunday. (laughs) Not good, right? Not good, but like, we can do stuff like that. I've definitely done stuff like that. And where we can, place either people or a particular group organization or somewhere um, that can cause some division, and it just gets weird. It gets distorted. So I think a really good question, at least for us to ask, um, is how do I know if I've gone too far? That's a good question, I think, right? So probably the very first baseline is, like, am I doing it at all? That's a good place to start. And then secondly, if God maybe shows us some things, then it's probably good for us to think about, okay, like, is my appreciation getting to someplace that's unhealthy? So I think it's a good thing, certainly, to ask. Maybe we should talk about the answer, what do you think? Yeah. So I had two kind of criteria that I thought might be helpful. Um, First one is, I wrote down appreciate Sign your bulletin, but you can write it down if you want. appreciation versus a measuring stick. Appreciation versus a measuring stick. So what I mean is that things might be getting distorted or kind of weird. Um, if, well, let me back up a little bit. I think it's good to appreciate those that have, you know, significant influence in our life to help us get closer to God. I think that's good. I think that we should show loyalty. I think that we should show respect to those people. I think that we should honor those people, whoever they are. And it could be you know, home pastors. It could be uh, missionaries. It could even be, I, I even pray and thank God for like, some of the you know, pastors that like, I listen to and pay attention to like in my free time. I'm like, Lord, just thank you just for blessing their ministry. Like, in some way, they've contributed like, to my spiritual health, and I appreciate them. So I just pray that you just keep blessing them, Lord. Help them to stay on track, not get caught up in craziness. Just keep on. Um, I think that is a good thing, and I think God calls us to do that. I think that we can creep into dangerous waters when they become a measuring stick. And what I mean by measuring stick is that, you know, you use a measuring stick to figure out, you know, if something is legit or not. And I think we've even talked about before in chemistry class, you get that pH paper, you figure out how acidic it is or how, how much of a base it is. And depending upon the color, it kind of tells you. I think that's where it can border into unhealthy, which I've done before for sure. Let me compare that, you know, with my pastor, and let's see if that's legit or not. And that does signify a certain respect factor, which I think is good, but I I sure hope we don't just approach, you know, all church situations like that, right? Um... Or man the way they do worship that's how it's supposed to be done. And I remember even thinking that and even like going to places and experiences retreats and different things and then coming in you know maybe to my home church while I was growing up and I'm like that's not how you do worship. That that's not how you sing that song. It's horrible. <laughs> not even God likes that. <laughs> you know I wouldn't go that far. But point being is we can like, use certain ministries, people, situation as a measuring stick. Unless it looks like that, it's not really legit. So I think we're called to balance it and just like, be aware of you know, where we're at and what we do. Because I think God totally wants us to be a fan of His people, to honor those that just, um, in a really responsible and healthy way, deliver His Word, they live out His message. And God wants us to appreciate that, you know, and bless them, and ask them to take care of them. But at the same time, there's, like, that part of us and the culture that we live in where we just want to, like, platform people, which can be dangerous, and then, you know, they can become a measuring stick. Um, so that was one criteria, appreciation versus a measuring stick. And then my other um, note that I wrote down that helped maybe guard us against this division and distortion This idea of equipping versus entertainment. So the first criteria was appreciation versus a measuring stick. The second one being, what was it? Equipping versus entertainment. Equipping versus entertainment. entertainment. Um, I think that if Paul were writing maybe to our church in our day and age, and maybe he planted one somewhere or planted a few and wrote to us, say, hey, listen, don't focus so much on having a phenomenal Sunday morning church service. Have all the bells and whistles, all the most creative things. That There's some importance to that. But there's much more importance of pouring all the energy and resources we can into focusing on the fact that Jesus wants to transform people and Jesus wants to transform lives. Like That's where it's all got to be spent. In our day and age, and and again, I've done this myself, where I just have been in certain places and certain situations where I can notice I like to be around it because it's entertaining to me. And if that entertainment thing kind of dips off, I'm like, that wasn't really spirit-led. I can manipulate it with like spiritual language or be like, I'm not being fed by that. When maybe it, it's a possibility that it's not as entertaining as I would like. And maybe that's more the case of what's going on. Well, I think it's really helpful that leaders of a church and people within a church that... They're really trying to equip. I think that's more of like a standard as far as what really matters is being equipped. So it's not like I just like to listen to that person and I just want to be around for this. And It's like, no, listen, are they responsibly living out their life to equip you as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ? You might not love their flavor and the way they do it, but is it getting done? That's the question. And and like, there's just this weird, I think, mentality, just in the world of, you know, church is just another store that we consumer shop until we feel like it meets all of our necessary requirements, which those lists tend to be really long. And and I think that it's kind of missing some really important things, you know. I think much of it has to do with what's the leadership look like, what are their hearts like, what's important to them. And then, honestly, it follows really close to that is, is this a place where I can serve in the way God has given me? Those, like, should really be kind of really high on the list. And I think, unfortunately, in our day and age, what happens is, and you probably know even people that kind of go through this kind of struggle, you know, what rings high on the list is, you know, who's there? Are my friends there? Are there people that I can relate to? Um, what kind of music style do they have? Um, it can be a whole gamut of And I think they kind of have their place, but it's certainly not top priority stuff. And so if we deal with that dynamic of being divided because of distortion of people and circumstance and showy type things, you know, it's just a trap. It's just a trap. And I remember going through that season, like I was mentioning before, like I've seen certain things and then comparing all the time and trying to figure that out. I remember how freeing it was to then go to a retreat somewhere and just have it be phenomenal. And then coming back to my home church and being like, you know what? That was just for there. That wasn't so I take that and just I make it look like that here. God just did that thing at that time in that place with those people. There's something about that hunger and passion that I liked and you know, hopefully I'm doing my part here. But... I'm not trying to like recreate it. It was like really freeing for me. And I'll tell you what, it toned down my judgmental level way down. I was much more of a fan. Like, not not a that was a bad word. Not a fan, it's entertainment, you know, but I was much more of a supporter. I was much more like for, you know, that was awesome. Praise God. So, and I think Paul has been touching on that up until this point you know, of what we're going to read through. So I don't know if I did a good job before as far as painting that picture. I hope I did a much better job right now. Um, So let's see. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're not going to spend a ton of time here because it's a short passage. I said chapter 2. Nobody yelled at me. 126. At least somebody was confused. Alright, so verse 26. It says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Brothers and sisters. Because there's girls there too. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, but not many were of noble birth. So why is Paul kind of like starting off and talking about this? He's doing it because he's just dealing with that dynamic of they were really interested and liked the idea of really good performances, really good oratory explanations, really, um, you know, there are some people that are just super charismatic. They've just really liked all of that. And Paul's saying, like, take a look around your little church. That, that's not, God doesn't just choose those people and work with those people and that's not like not who he's looking for if you look around your little church you guys are all blue collar nobody really important just kind of regular people and right away my heart resonates with that I'm like hey he's been a CC Noggy I think you know like I think that's a good thing and we'll talk more about that in a minute but that's why he's writing that um, and then Paul verse 27 he says but God chose the foolish things of the world and that's kind of a shot right God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Who's he calling a fool, right? And actually, if you translate that word there, it means like dull, like not, not super bright, not the brightest of the bunch. He's kind of taking a shot. That's okay. I, I resemble that. Said so God chose the weak things of the world, shots fired again, to shame the strong. He chose the lowly, he's just kind of giving it to him here. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It says, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. All right? That's powerful stuff. It's like, guys, like, listen, take a look around. This is who God works with. This, this is the way He does things. And it's like, listen, even when I came to you, I made a point to not seem really exceptional and just an amazing, amazing speaker. It's like I purposely did not try to go there. So you wouldn't think a lot of me. I want you to think a lot of him. And that message is just, I think, even surprising. Because man, I just I, I have so many friends, pastor friends, and and and, and even I myself, you get into the trap of how amazing can I craft this and make this? And that's like so secondary. Primary is is this coming from your heart, Lord? Because if it's not, I don't want any part of it. And you should see how many strategies are out there for successful communication from like a pastor to a congregation. As far as like time limits on how long you should talk about one subject. As far as how you should make a transition to the next one because people's attention spans tend to go after about six minutes. So every like six minutes should be changing and it should be changing to a particular thing in a particular way and it's like, I don't know, I guess it has some value. Maybe in a classroom, that would help out a lot. And I find myself doing that in a classroom a lot. But when it comes to proclaiming his word and sharing his heart, it's very, very different. That's why Paul's like, listen, it's about Christ, Christ crucified. I wasn't coming to be impressive. I was coming to demonstrate this is what God can do with a life that's surrendered. That was my focus, and that was my goal. And in the day and age that we live in, that's not a really popular message or goal. It, it, it's not necessarily commonplace where a lot of leaders at a church are like, my heart this morning is just to equip these people and just serve them and make sure that somehow, some way they connect with the Spirit this morning. Because many times, the question after a Sunday service is, was it good? Was it good? Was it not? What do you think? Did people laugh? Did they smile? Did it connect? And maybe those are little indicators that there was some engagement, something happening, but it gets distorted to where it, like it can jump to the top of the list. And if it was a good job, all those things definitely happened. And Paul's like, nah, like you guys are kind of missing. Like it's getting distorted. It's not good because if you start evaluating it that way, you're just gonna like people that do a thing that do the things you like. And as Christians, we don't want to be locked into that. We want to put ourselves in the huge box where, like, I want to be able to identify, like, in high, man, the spirit works through that particular person. I don't even know how it happens, but it does. I can just, the spirit works through that person. They're even kind of boring. There's, like, even pastors I listen to, they're, they're pretty much boring a lot of times. But there's, there's, like, no denying that they're with God and close to his heart, and they can just, they can deliver whatever boring message they have in a really powerful way. In fact, Jonathan Edwards, you know, we talked about earlier, Jonathan Edwards, who really started the Great Awakening here in New England, most popular sermon really of all time, was given in Enfield, Connecticut. And he was not a super dynamic, kind of all over the place kind of guy. Much of it he had typed out, you know, he's right here, strong period and roots. He was actually pretty harsh with a lot of stuff too. And um, he would just read it, you know, and just go right through it. No PowerPoints. You know, no fill in the blanks, you know, like, <laughs> I'm just reading the thing, and he just goes through it. And it's reported and said that when he would share some of his messages and just read them off, that people sometimes just be brought to tears, or they'd be shouting, or they'd just start, like, just praying just impulsively. And none of that had to be generated or worked up in any way. But I think many times in our culture, we really want to generate it and ramp it up and like... You know, and it's, it becomes hard to tell if it's really the Spirit moving or did we just get everybody really excited? Right? It becomes difficult to tell. Because when we, con- when we interact and we're with the Lord, it is exciting. And you can try and contain it, but you, you really can't. It comes out in some way, shape, or form. But, you know, you can use high emotionalism to say that that's the spirit moving. There's just things, right, to be careful of. And Paul was just like, you could just tell from his heart he had no interest really in any of that stuff. It's not what he was at. Throw down this thought, God calls us not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are. God has not called you because of who you are and what you bring to the table. He's called you in spite of that. I hope that's encouraging in some way, shape, or form. He's called you despite of that. He's already well aware of what you've done, what you're thinking, whatever's going on. He's like, yeah, yeah, I, despite that, we're going. And I'm going to do things that are amazing. And I choose to do it through you. And I think that's really the heart of what Paul's talking about here. And it's amazing how God uses flawed people to reach a flawed world. There's a brilliance in that. Because it makes it easier to connect. There's a skeptical part of my mind and my being to where if I was around Jesus, it's undeniable he was going to do whatever he's going to do and it's kind of amazing. But there is certainly a skeptical part of my mind that I also see in other minds that I interact with at times It's like Jesus is Jesus. You know, like, come on. That was Jesus. He doesn't even know how to sin. (laughs) How can I relate to that? So there's something brilliant about taking a sinner, flawed person, and then just radically changing them to impact and change and influence other flawed people. It's brilliant. And so when Paul goes through and he's like, there's a wisdom, you know, of this world, he's like, that's not God's wisdom. His is totally different. Totally different. The world thinks that being an all-star is really important. That status is huge. That financial success is where it's at. That who you know in your image, big deal. God is like, no, not really. Give me whatever you got, sins, flaws, and alls. Completely surrender that to me and see what I will do. It's a totally different message. And if there's some part of us that's like really locked into the entertainment thing, it's really hard for us to experience the other side where we live in a reckless abandon. Because we'll always be kind of like pulled like a magnet in that direction of, oh, that's really cool. It's like, I want to see it. You know, And it can kind of actually make us lose time from investing our own hearts and lives over here in what God has for us. Um, I tried to think of this one question, and I'm going to fill in the rest of these blanks, and then we'll close up. Um, I tried to think of this one question. Um, I think it's pretty obvious like that Paul's writing that God takes really unlikely people to, un- to just... Crazy places, unlikely places to do things that are beyond themselves. So I tried to think about it. Um, who is not unlikely that God would use? Who you're like, well, yeah, he's going to use them, duh. Um, and I tried to think of that, and, uh, you know, like, who would you think of as like, just like a lock? Like, yeah, God's definitely going to use them. That's just, the that hash to happen. I had a really difficult time answering that question. Um God just loves to use everybody. And I even tried to go like the pastor's kid route. Well, if anybody's gonna follow God, it's gonna be the pastor's kids. And if you've had any experience maybe in churches, like some of the most screwed up people are the pastor's kids. And that's not a good thing. But that's kind of familiar. So that leads us into this first villain here. Unlikely people are the majority. Unlikely people. Flawed. Difficult people. They're the majority. We're the majority in heaven. The, The minority would just be the people that were gifted with just amazing abilities and talents. And man, there's just like some unique touch just upon their life. Just a unique, just grace given to them for whatever reason. And there's people all throughout church history that have done that. Um, But it's pretty rare. It's rare to have the combination of extraordinary people doing extraordinary things all the time. It's rare. That's nothing to get mad or bitter about. God will do what He does with us. And if we want to see that, that way, I don't, I don't think God is really opposed to putting flawed, original people in extraordinary places. Uh, there's a quote from a, a pastor that I like. He says that, um, if you do ordinary things extraordinary ways, you'll then be able to be placed in a position where you can do extraordinary things in extraordinary ways. So a lot of us do ordinary things. Our jobs, you know, whatever it is. Stuff around the house. Do it in extraordinary ways. Ways that people have never seen it done before. Maybe not even super creative, but just super well. Super honest. Super patient. Really loving. Super forgiving. God sees that. He notices that. And He'll put us in position. He's like going to start doing extraordinary things in extraordinary ways many times that's just the way it works but I think the encouraging news for us is that unlikely people we're the majority most influence and encouragement and just things that we go through in life like it's just with regular people I don't rub shoulders and hang out a lot with just this is not an L.A. church I'm not knocking L.A. churches it's just this is not where we are you know, we don't have them coming through and doing stuff, and just it's not Beverly Hills over here. You know? it's just... And in this day and age, we think we can like you know tweet at them, and they send us one back. Oh, cool! Or Facebook them, or like read something in a magazine. It's like you know, we don't even know them. It's silly to go there. Unless God calls to pray for them or something, but it's silly to go there. We're the majority. So unlikely people are the majority, number two. Unlikely people are not out of reach. Unlikely and flawed people, they're not out of reach. God got you. And you guys all got different backgrounds. Some with some really crazy stories. And none of you perfect, all still getting figured out and worked out. Nobody's out of reach. And I think the perfect example is Paul, the one writing this. His job was just to go around and kill Christians. That was his job. He's the most unlikely person. Super unlikely. I mean, if we had to like compare it in some way, shape, or form, that'd be like, you know, the Osama Bin Laden of our day, and then all of a sudden he just gets saved, God radically transformed him, and it's just like he takes over the Middle East for Christ. <laughs> what? It, it's like that. It's amazing. And all through the Bible, it's so important for us to be in our words and just be, oh man, just studying. The whole Bible is a testimony of people that, super unlikely. They had no business being where they were being. But God placed them there. He saw their hearts. He saw their just authentic worship of Him. He saw their stewardship in the little. And he placed them in positions. A little shepherd boy has no business leading the whole nation for almost 40 years. How would you do that? Some little kid that has dreams has no business being second in command of the largest empire in the entire nation. And Joseph, the shepherd boy, was David. You have people that you know, like Amos, you know, he's a farmer. Like, it doesn't matter. Totally doesn't matter. And many times, like, the biggest struggle of some people could be the greatest opportunity just waiting right there. Nobody's too far out of reach. So if God has placed people in our hearts and in our minds to keep praying for and you're not seeing any results, in fact, you might even see them going backwards, don't stop. Just don't stop. Stay faithful in it. You might be the only one praying for them. Last one. So, unlikely people are the majority. Unlikely people are not out of reach. Unlikely people, they perfectly display the gospel. They perfectly display the gospel. Not that they're perfect in doing it, but they're like an awesome platform. Because... Everybody else that's watching and noticing, they're like, wow, this is that's not the person I knew growing up or the person that I knew before. It's so totally different about them. People notice that. They see that. And when we live a life where we take risk and faith for the Lord, He changes things in us. He changes us. And it's noticed by people around us. And hopefully we don't do it so that we get noticed. It just comes with the territory. It just comes with the territory. So we become like a great platform that God is real, that he can take and equip and empower somebody whose heart and life is completely surrendered to him. That's why your testimony as a Christian, it's not just one story. It's going to be many stories throughout your whole life. So the term, the testimony, I have my testimony, testimony. That might be a significant point in your life, but that's like, God's going to have multiple testimonies and just stories that you just share. That comes down to where a lot of times they don't make you look real good, but they make him look great, and that's the idea. It's humbling on our end, though. So unlikely people are the majority. Unlikely people, not out of reach. Unlikely people perfectly display the gospel. So down, uh, how does this happen? How does it happen that God would take so many people from so many different walks of life, varying levels of sin and struggles all over their life, and he's able to put to shame the wisdom of this world and the things that the world says is important. And if you said, well, because he's God, that's a pretty good answer. Yes, he can do that. Um, And I wrote down some of what we talked before. The world is drawn to and admires birth, social status, financial success, power, and recognition. So how does God change flawed, ordinary people into something more than that? In fact, the Bible calls the believer a saint. A saint. Which this is where I, I feel like I just have. That's where I probably have one of the biggest difficulties with the Catholic Church. And I know I see my brothers and sisters that are Catholic, love Jesus, love the Lord. I'll see them in heaven. I don't know who they're going to be, and I don't even play the game of trying to go around and seeing who's like a Christian or I, not. I, I don't even want to go anywhere near that. What I am saying is that some things within their faith just makes it really difficult. And this idea of elevating some people and not all people is really dangerous. It's really dangerous. So, to go through the process of beatification, you know, be nominated, and then at some point in time become a saint, that's tough when the word saint is used like around 67 times in the New Testament. And it's always used addressing those that are in a church family. Ah, It's tough stuff, you know? And then you elevate Mary to a certain position who's like a quasi-human. That's a dangerous road right there. Because what it does is that, like, very subtly, implicitly, delivers a message that there's some people to God that are, like, here, and then there's others that are, like, here. Maybe Old Testament times, okay, we could talk about that. New Covenant, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, there is none of that. So this idea of, you know, kind of having different levels is just really dangerous stuff. And so God turns us into saints, which is just crazy. And then I wrote down, uh, his miracles and power through ordinary people cannot be duplicated or copied. So His miracles, His power, His supernatural way of loving, it can't be duplicated or copied because it comes from only one place. God Himself. That shames the world. It shames the wisdom of the world. Because it would be common to think, like we talked about last week, the religion of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, that um, good integrity and strong moral character will in some way put us in a good position. Where Those are good works and good things, but the supernatural, life-changing love that God is talking about, it never gets touched. Even with a heavy focus in our lives of honesty thinking of others first, and being thankful. And a few of the other ones we talked about. Because you can certainly do those things without God. Absolutely. But it can, can it be done in such a way to where it doesn't keep the focus on us? And it gives glory to the God that saved us. And then goes a step further and says, Hey, God has also made it available so you can live this way too. Because in that religion of the nuns, the people that make their way up the ladder and the ones that get highlighted and a lot of attention gets drawn to, those are the ones that do all those things really well and a lot of attention gets brought to them. And that's like the thing we're trying to go against. So there's like a a way of wisdom that sees wise and focusing on just those types of characteristics and behaviors, but it's a trap. It's really a trap. So, closing thought here. Experience, ability, status does not give power to our ministry. Which, by the way, you have a ministry. You have a ministry. Are you getting paid to do it or not? You have a ministry. God is looking to make His appeal of His truth to the world through you. Your ministry. Your ministry. Like, you have your ministry. I don't know if you want to put up a sign on your lawn or anything, but you have your ministry. And I think it's a huge mistake to shrug that off and sort of downplay it. Because if it's true that God is looking to make His appeal to the world through you, we're missing something if the Christians, right, don't stand up and say, it's my ministry. This is what God has put before me. This is my assignment. I need to live in it and walk in it. It's just not going to get done. He's called me at this time, with these people in this situation. He's called me to. So experience, ability, status does not give power to our ministry. The working of God's Spirit does. The working of His Spirit in our lives. That's what gives us the power to move on. I was going to read here, yeah, verse 10. Take a look at chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, Actually, go back to verse 7. So chapter 2, verse 7, right, the working of God's spirit. So he talks a little bit more about God's spirit here. Paul says, no, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Can you say refrigerator verse? Yeah, Facebook it. But God <laughs> but God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. You just don't come to the fact of no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what the good God has prepared. You just don't arrive there. God only makes that aware to us by His Spirit. Because if we are just left our own minds, we would probably just judge God based on what we've experienced in the world. So somebody who lives in Sierra Leone one of the most oppressed parts of the entire world because they grow diamonds there and everybody just it's just ruled by militia. Their view of God, if they were just basing it just on their surroundings, would be very different than maybe somebody who lived in, you know, Greenwich, Connecticut and was kind of doing okay and fairly comfortable. When we connect with the Spirit of God, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, no matter what's going on, he reveals to us that He is good, that He is faithful, and we, we can maybe scratch the surface on how much He can really do if we give Him all that we are. It says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man or woman except that a man's or woman's spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit or woman without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to them and they can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Spiritual man or woman makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. And it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And I love the last sentence, right? But we have the mind of Christ. That's got to be like our anthem and our cry. Our minds need to be made, made renewed for sure. And I hope in prayer, like, but I have your mind, Lord. I have the mind of Christ. It's not thinking the way it should be thinking. Sometimes it's easy to tell. But in faith, Lord, I thank you that I have the mind of Christ because your spirit lives in me, same spirit that was in Jesus. That's a powerful thing. And that rearranges a lot of situations in our lives to where, geez, I hope someday I'll get free of this thing happens is it changes our mind if we get the mind of Christ it's God I thank you for that day of freedom when there's just significant breakthrough and that, I'm not dealing with that so things go from maybe if to more of a countdown One. it's a much better way it's a much better way so Paul hits on that stuff in chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 he goes through about talking about divisions again and then um, he goes in chapter 4. I think we're going to pick up chapter 5 actually next week. So for homework this week, if you want to read some chapter 3, chapter 4, stuff doesn't make sense or you're not sure, email me, post it in the group or something, or bring it Wednesday night, whatever. But I think we're going to pick up in chapter 5 next week. Talking about sexual morality. Like these guys are just jacked up. So they're doing all kinds of sexual stuff they shouldn't be doing in the church there. And, um, you know, that's not a newsflash. That stuff happens. Even today. I mean, it's just... Just happens. So um, I don't know. I really appreciate Paul's words and insight of focusing on what's really important and giving us a clue as the types of way that division and distortion can, like you know, make its way into the church. I think that's helpful. I think it helps a lot. All right, ready to pray it up. since we got a C.C. Noggy skip day. No. If I can do it, right? A couple of minutes. Any Q&A regarding the message at all? I'm completely unprepared. So you very well might catch me and be like, eh. any Q&A, Q&A at all of any kind with anything regarding the passage or the message? Anything. You're like, you should have told me this first. No? Yeah. It's just coming up now. But I think that, you know, so when we get a smaller Sunday, I think we could play that to our advantage a little bit, you know. Any questions? Something unclear about it? Something you're like, nah, I don't know? Or something that encouraged you or anything? Anything at all? I did not fill in the second line. That's a good starting point. Here we go. They were. Guilty of glorifying people beyond what was appropriate. They were guilty of glorifying people beyond what was appropriate. What's that? Yes, I think so. I think so. I mean, I think there's certainly like an honor and recognition towards people, you know, that we give, but it was going too far there. yes yes. Why well, is it significant? So what else so you, and actually too so if you want write these down. I wrote down some verses too in case uh, you have a hard time finding some of them. Uh, Colossians 1 1 through 8 acts 9 Ephesians 4:12. Believe it or not, in our very own book, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. We talked about a few, so I maybe forgot, but it's in there, where he regarded them as saints. In Ephesians 5, 3, a whole bunch of other ones. So the only uh, thing that I was trying to say with the 67 times is that each and every time the word saint was used, it was used in regarding the church body, church family that was there. So Paul would pen it, he would write it, and he'd say, hey, to the saints in C.C. Noggy. To the saints in Bethel, Connecticut. To the saints in Prospect. God in peace be with you. Da, 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 da. So he would always regard them in that way. So meaning if, if, if they weren't saints, and the Bible goes even further, if you look in First Peter, the Bible doesn't just call you saints. The Bible also calls you priests. A royal, part of a royal priesthood. That's just part of your inheritance because you're part of God's family. A nice perk. Um, So, if Paul said those things to those churches, and he only meant it for some, it would be weird that he wasn't clear on that that many times. So, a saint. So, I would define. So, I think that the way the Bible defines a saint is any born again believer, any born again believer, any Christian. I submitted the life to the Lord, trying to walk in humility and repentance. That's a saint. Nothing else? That's it, that's it. No, no? A zinger? Give me a zinger. All right, so pick up next week in chapter five. You got it. So if you didn't read three or four, try and knock those out. Um, five and six really even tie into. You can even read ahead a little bit and look at six because the last part of six actually ties into sexual morality stuff too. Uh, we'll talk about marriage and like singleness and divorce and all that stuff. Um, let's we'll start getting into a whole bunch of stuff. So we should have a good time. All right, so let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you guard our hearts from division and distortion of what you do, Lord. I pray you guard our hearts from attaching, attaching people's abilities and our talents, Lord, um, to themselves. I pray, Father, that we would be, um, that we'd better understand how you equip people and how you use people. And how there's just, there's a value, there's a destiny, there's a call on each of our lives. And I pray that we would not be discouraged because of our past, because of our present. Because of things we've done, Lord. Your grace and your love is more amazing than we can imagine. And when we choose to receive that and then walk in holiness, Lord... There's no telling what you can do. So I just pray, Father, that our hearts and minds, we would just be encouraged, Lord, that you can do anything with anything, Father. That our resources are only limited by you, Lord. And I pray, Father, for myself and for our church family that we could start at square one where we do ordinary things extraordinarily well. that we just stand out, Lord, for just doing the basic things in life that we have before us and our families and our jobs and our friendships and our finances, Lord. I pray that we could do all these ordinary things that we do. Monday's coming. Father, I pray that we would just do it extraordinarily well, Lord. That we could live out ordinary days listening to your Spirit. Powered by your spirit. Praying for others, Lord. Taking risks of faith, Lord. Embracing the process that you're bringing us through. Choosing to worship instead of choosing to complain. Choosing to love instead of remember. Choosing to live in grace, Lord. And non condemnation. So I pray, Father, that we could just start square one, Lord. Living this ordinary life, Lord, that we have here in an extraordinary way. And may we give you all the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.